What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. Today, we got Brendan Graff on today, and we're talking about upgrading your equipment. Um, and before we get into that, we're, we're talking about upgrading your equipment on your bow, I should say. So, you know, a lot of us in, you know, maybe October, November, we're sitting there shooting our bow, we're all excited for the rut or whatever, or maybe we're in our stand, and all of a sudden we drop our bow out of the stand or you know, we're shooting it. We don't like something. And mid season, a lot of us are like, dude, I'm not upgrading. Like upgrading right now would be just a total time waster. And, and I don't, I don't want to, unless I have to. And I've been in that, that those shoes before too, where you just like, man, I'm just going to stick it out with this. I know it's not the best thing, but I'm pretty confident that I can hit, you know, a deer at 30 yards. So we're going to rock it with this. And after season, I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to save some cash and upgrade. So right now, you know, we're recording this in February, uh, February 22nd, and it is a great time to get those upgrades done. The, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons for that is you have a ton of time to, to work with your upgrades, to shoot through your upgrades, to make sure that you have everything you like in the way you like. Cause uh, the worst thing, and Brendan, I'm sure you can agree with this is like getting a new site or a new rest in August. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd so, have to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And lo- before we keep going, I'm, I'm running on a tangent already. Brendan, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, tell people where you're from and all that jazz. Uh, my name is Brendan Graff. I'm from Southeast Missouri, small town called St. Mary. I'm about 72 miles South of St. Louis. Uh, kind of grew up bow hunting i've always been around it ever since i was four or five years old uh did a little bit of an archery tech job when i was a senior and i've had multiple bows and i just kind of eat sleep and breathe it yeah before the uh before the podcast started we were talking about different ways to gain information and one of the things brennan was saying was uh there's just so so much information out there there's just you can learn so much and this is like for hunters it's really unprecedented because previously like in the hunting world before podcasts you would like if you wanted to read about andy may you'd have to wait until like bow hunting magazine let andy may publish a story right or same with cody dequist or same with jake bush like you'd have to wait for them to like hit their cycle and let somebody write an article. And even then it's still limited to X amount of words, like two pages. And you only get that section of it. You don't get the hour, hour and a half, two hour long conversation that you get out of podcasts nowadays. So the amount of, of information. And even then, like when, when magazines were the big thing, like I loved getting the bow hunting magazine, Eastman's journal, Wisconsin, we have Wisconsin Outdoor News. Um, you have a lot of these magazines and, and publications, but even then, like it is a very strict, not very, not super strict, but very confined amount of authors, right? Even within that, like, you know, Bow Hunting Magazine may only have 10 authors in that whole, you know, magazine for the month. Whereas you could consume 10 podcasts with 10 different people in a week now, you know, if you got the time, even less than that, and you could run through all that information. So I think that, you know, the the big thing that I'm trying to get to there is 
is make sure that if you guys are listening to me, obviously you have other better people to listen to as well. So listen to a lot of podcasts, gain a lot of information. I'm sure there's a few other podcasts kind of in the same topic with upgrading your equipment um, today or, or around this time frame. So definitely go out there, check out some other ones and uh, gain that info, get it all together so that, and the biggest thing that I've noticed a lot is just a lot of people um, oh, I found St. Mary on the map. I was looking for it in Missouri to see exactly where you were. Um, nice. Yeah. So I had a job for a long time in a, not a, I shouldn't say a long time, but in Farmington, that's pretty close, isn't it? Oh yeah. I'm in Farmington a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I had, so one of the jobs that I worked at at my old job was mineral area college. So oh, yeah. yep. 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 So pretty that's much where I dropped out of twice. oh man well that's all right you're doing good now aren't you (laughs) uh yeah i guess so for being a two-time college dropout dude it ain't for everybody man like uh, my fiance she just got a she got a check the other day from him some kind of payback and then i got a letter from him and i was like man i got a check too open it up it's like you owe 172 dollars for book fees i was like damn you're getting paid i owe money yeah shouldn't have opened your check yeah (laughs) oh man did you just like did you drop out because you didn't like what was going on there you just don't like school or what yeah i mean i was just kind of over it because i originally i was going to go to lynn missouri at state technical college for civil engineering and then i got offered the job i'm still at now and I decided that I would stay close to home and go to college a couple of days a week and get my associates and also work a full-time job at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of just, I'm almost done. Honestly, I got like two classes left, but I've started and then I stopped and then I started again and I stopped. So I feel like I always like to say, I'm going to make my way back and finish my computer and science class. But I mean, realistically, like I'm probably not going to make it back. <laughs> Well, it depends on, I mean, it's always college in general to me has always been a people push it straight out of school, right? It's what you're quote unquote supposed to do. But at the same time, just like every decision in life, especially when it comes to work and your job, it's a cost benefit analysis, right? Like what am I going to put in and what am I going to get out? And that's one of those things that, uh, that a lot of people don't look at so much anymore. They just go because they go. And that's how you end up with people who are, you know, undecided and can't figure out and switch majors every, every six, three months or whatever, and, and just don't know what they want to do. Then, you know, at that point, why wouldn't you drop out? Like you're just, you're just throwing money at the wall and, and just pulling more and more debt on yourself. Like take a break, hop into a job, figure out what you like to do in life. Or if you get a job and you hate it, like figure out that you hate that and figure out what you do like. And then once you figure that out, then is there a degree out there that will earn you more money in that position or in that area that you've liked? You know what I mean? So like, so like right now you said that you're in like logistics, right? Yep. Yeah. So the, the cost benefit there, in, in my opinion, would be like, Okay, if you're if you're the logistics manager for this company and they say to you, hey man, like if you go back and get your degree, we're gonna pay you 10 grand more a year. 
And you look at that and you're like, all right, the degree for the extra two credits here are three credits. It's going to cost me four grand, but I'm going to make 10 grand in the first year. And then every year after that, I'm going to make more like, hell yeah, that's a great cost benefit analysis. Right. But if there, if you weren't that far along and they were like, Hey, we're going to give you 10 grand. And you look at that and you're like, well, it's going to cost me 65 grand to get this degree. Then it's going to take you six years to pay that back. Right. Tentatively, assuming you don't get any other raises, you don't switch roles or anything like that. And that's one of those questions, you know, do you do it? Do you not do it? And there's other, there's other degrees out there that would be, that are like essentially like required for the job. Like my wife's a teacher. She pretty much had to get a teaching degree. Um, nurses, nurses need to go to school. Doctors need to go to school. Lawyers need to go to school, but there's a lot of positions out there that don't, don't require some sort of degree that you can get pretty far in life with without. And if you don't need to incur the debt, then why would you? Right. Right. I'm kind of in the same boat. And honestly, looking back on it, where I'm at now, you know, I'm happy. And I don't know if I'd truly do anything different because had I done my original plan, I'd be in a lot of debt right now, you know, with college. And I don't think the associates here caused me a lot of debt, but I don't know if it would give me any extra tools under my belt where I'm at right now with my job. So Mm -hmm. that would also just be, you know, added debt. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know if I do anything differently with where I'm at now. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like, sounds like you kind of hemmed and hawed about it. You figured it out and you're at a job that that's okay. At least that you like for now in your 23, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you got whatever, 50 more years to figure out that, that you want to do something else. <laughs> I climbed too many trees to live that long. I got 40 in me at the most. <laughs> well, you got 40 more years to figure out if you want to be in logistics your whole life. So I'm sure you'll make a few career changes as life goes on and you meet new people and all that fun stuff. So, all right. Well, yeah, let's hop into, let's hop into um, upgrading your bow and changing your accessories. So the thing that I was, um, or changing your components, I should say, the thing that I was saying before is, is right now like phenomenal time because you get to you go order all your, all your stuff. Now go to your bow shop. Now there's like no one there. It's the slowest time of the year for all these people. You can really get that one-on-one attention at, at a local bow shop. And two, um, two, you get the whole summer, the whole summer to, to make sure your equipment is what you want it to be. And, and that's like, dude, we've all been there, like where you, uh, where you get new equipment in like July and it's not working out the way you want it to. And you kind of shooting, you know, a few nights a week and you're like, Oh, I need him and unhawn. And then August rolls around and you're still kind of him and unhawn. Then you want to go in, but it's too busy. It can't get you in on time. Yada, yada, yada. And then you roll into September and that's when season opens in Wisconsin. And you're just like, well, I guess this is what I got. Right. Yep. That was kind of my, I can't act like I'm ahead of the game too much. That was kind of my scenario last year. Cause I almost feel like I can never hold on to a bow. I end up finding something else I want to try or, you know, I might use it for one season, but uh, last year, well, not this past season, but the season before I was shooting the Matthews Halo on seven thirty-two, And uh, I really liked that bow, but I ended up getting an offer for it for what I paid for it. And I was like, no, I can take this and, you know, get a different bow. So I sold it. And I guess that was probably before summer started. And I told myself I was going to go right in and get another bow to get comfortable with it. Well, even though I, you know, 
live for bow hunting, procrastinate. And here comes beginning of August and I still didn't have a bow. So I ended up walking in the archery shop and I ended up getting a prime logic CT five. Okay. And I really like how that bow shoots. And, uh, I kind of just had accessories at my house that I just threw on it just for the season to be good enough. So now since I'm through the season, you know, it worked fine. I shot three deer this year with it, but I'm kind of putting a little bit more money into it and upgrading it to get comfortable with it for this next season. Mm, yeah. Yeah, dude, I've been there. Um, I had a, a Matthews monster, uh, one season that was a 80 pound bow that I was just, that I kind of put together. And then I tried some real heavy, the Valkyrie setup with that, some real high FOC arrows shooting like 300 grain broadheads. And that bow, that bow was way too touchy for me. I have one of my biggest problems is my grip. Honestly, like my grip doesn't sit right all the time. It's not the same all the time. And I need like, when I get in, when I get shooting consistently, you know, I, I shoot every day or I shoot every other day or something like that. You know, as I get doing that in July and August, making sure that I'm really well prepared, um, then my grip will become consistent. But other than that, like I'll shoot my bow and then a week later I'll come back to it and my grip will be weird and I'll be shooting like off to the left or off to the right or whatever it is. Um, and that Matthews monster was, was really touchy and sensitive to that. So I shot that for a season. Didn't really like that. Jumped over to um, a prime. I forget which one it is. I, I had a, I forget which prime it was, but I had a prime for a season and that was okay too. Um, and I don't know if it was me, but I, I took it to a bow shop. I couldn't get it to shoot any bullet holes. Um, and I'm not saying that this is prime's fault by any means. Um, but I couldn't get it to shoot any bullet holes, took it to the archery shop. That guy, um, also couldn't get it to shoot bullet holes, which I was pretty disappointed in. Um, so, and he blamed it on prime, which is probably like a sign that was a sign to me. That's like, well, is it really prime's fault or can you just not tune this thing? Cause he doesn't, yeah. right. He didn't sell them, but he was my local shop and he doesn't deal with primes very often. So I would have to drive an hour and 10 minutes to a prime dealer. Um, and so I ended up, I ended up doing that and we would shoot like a couple bullet holes, like, you know shoot five arrows and I'd shoot two or three bullet holes and then the other two or three would be off. And it was just kind of in a wonky scenario. So I felt really comfortable with that bow under, under 30 yards. Um, and there were, I had a couple of shots present themselves at like 35 or 40 and I didn't take them cause I just wasn't comfortable with that. And then now I'm rolling with the Matthews. Um, I think I'm pretty sure I have the VXR. Yeah. Cause the V three X just came out. So I have the Matthews VXR and, um, and I've, I've really enjoyed that bow. I just bought a whole new setup for it. Everything's new on it and just said, I'm starting with a clean slate. We're going to tune it for bullet holes. We're going to throw all the new accessories on it. I'm going to save up the cash. I'm going to dump the money, you know, whatever it was like 1600 bucks here it is. And I'm just going to hang on to it for a while and love this thing. So that's, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> um, and it's, I, I mean, it's shooting really, really well. I've shot the best I've ever had with it um, this last summer and with, with like 3D targets and all that jazz. So uh, I'm hoping to get a little bit better this year. But yeah, um, upgrading your accessories is always a, always a good, 
a good port way to start. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say was because one of the other big reasons to get in now for upgrading your excess uh, components is because manufacturing lead times suck right now. You know, especially if the products aren't made a hundred percent in America, like you might order some, it might take, you know, five weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks to get. So like I would certainly, if you're very interested in upgrading your gear, um, get in there sooner rather than later. So you don't order something in June and it gets here in September, you know, that can very well happen when the rush starts coming through. So what is, so if you're upgrading your, your, uh, components, Brennan, what's the first thing you're looking at doing? Like, what do you want? What do you want to change on your bow currently? Uh, the first thing that I put on my bow is a different wrist because the wrist I had was just a, uh, it was a true glow drop away and it definitely did the job. It just wasn't a full containment rest. So I kind of had to keep a finger over my arrow walking around. So it wasn't bouncing around and that was just annoying as hell to me. So, uh, first thing I put, I keep looking over here cause I got it over in the corner. Uh, first thing I put on there was a HHA Virtus. It kind of looks like the QAD HDX drop away, but, uh, I like that wrist a lot. And I probably, I've shot the HDX on a few different bows. I probably would have put that back on it, but my local archery shop didn't have that. He had this one. So I don't know enough about the HHA compared to the QAD, but from what I know, it's a pretty good performing wrist. Okay. So that was like, hey, do you already have that on your bow now or was that? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. No, so that was your first upgrade after season. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. HHA is a Wisconsin based company. Um, out of Wisconsin Rapids. So I certainly, uh, certainly appreciate that support <laughs> um, for, for the Wisconsin companies. And yeah, so is that, um, that Virtus, is that a limb driven or a cable driven drop away? It's cable driven. Cable driven. Okay. So yep. that's like, so why did you choose to, to go that route? Um, I was just, I've had a limb driven rest on a target bow I had. It was a victory 39 and I liked it. It's just, uh, people might call me stupid for it. And I'm kind of, you know, young to, I guess everybody has their own opinion, but I know a lot of older guys that hunt with limb driven rest, but I feel like that's a lot of extra string and cable to be on a hunting boat, you know, to snag or for you to grab onto, or I just like the idea of the, uh, cable driven rest having a shorter cord and being more compact i think okay yeah that's fair so for everybody for everybody listening there's there's a few different rests that you can that you can go with for for the upgrade um you can do like a standard just like static full containment which is like a whisker biscuit right 35 or 40 bucks whatever they are um and drop your arrow and you're good to go and your veins are just going to pass through that whisker biscuit and hopefully not like affect your flight at all um great rest for people starting out people getting used to everything and people who aren't taking very long shots like that that works really well uh great rest on a budget too then you also have just like a two-prong rest which some people shoot um for tournament and whatnot uh 3ds those aren't I don't have a lot of favor in them because they're not a full containment and they're just this tiny little deal sitting there. Um, they can certainly be an issue. I, I think, um, 
just because it's it is just like the consistency of it being static and just sitting there but also your your arrows like you know rolling over that all the time so that is that is an issue i have those on my uh on my bow fishing rigs um because i don't care and i'm my shots are 10 feet not you know 30 40 yards so then as far as then you can get a drop away rest right so you can there's a couple different drop away rests that you can get um and you can get cable driven or limb driven uh a cable driven drop away is one that hooks up to the two cables that come up and down and that's where those those two cables that form that x hooks onto one of those and when those expand and contract they will release that that rest the other way is limb driven where it's actually the string instead of going to the cable it goes down to the bottom limb and as the as you draw back and that limb flexes the rest pops up and as you release that rest drops down so um because the 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 limbs then uh release as well so that's those are the different ones i have a uh some people so when i was making my decision on my rest uh I talked to a bunch of different people about it and uh, a couple of people that I really trust um, were saying that a limb driven rest gives you like slightly more accuracy that, 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 um, what do I want to say the, the actual rest itself will drop away faster than on a cable driven rest and you'll have more consistency with it. I don't know if I'm a good enough shot that that even matters. So I'll, I'll just start with that. Um, but I, I do also, believe that. I mean, some of the guys that I know that are like tournament archers on their hunting rigs, almost every single one of them shooting a limb driven rest, you know, okay. so that's got to speak for something. Yeah. Yeah. So I shoot like, a, I don't even know what it is, but I know it's a ham ski, a ham ski limb driven rest. Um, and it works. I, I mean, I've never had an issue with it. Um, when I try to, when I try to tune, um, a couple times, like I thought my rest might've been an issue. So you put like powder, you know, you put flour on your rest, um, and then see if where your veins are contacting. And that was never the issue at all. So, so I know that that's, that's always been good, um, uh, for me, but I do agree. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of string and, and there's a spring that can easily go wrong in that scenario. I've never had it happen. Um, and you know, I was at a, for what it's worth, I was at a shop one time and a guy said, you know, I don't want to get one of those ham ski limb drivens because there's a spring and a, and a, and a really long string on that, that goes down to your bottom limb. Like what if that gets caught on a branch or something and snaps off or pops off? Like, do you guys sell extra springs? Do you sell extra uh, strings for that? And the guy behind the counter was like, no, but I'll be honest, I've never had anybody come in and actually like be missing those parts. So I don't know if like that never happens for people or like if they that does happen, it just they just go online and buy them direct from Hamski. I'm not sure, but I've had so I've had that Hamski rest for that's the one thing that I carried over onto my my Mat Matthews VXR and um and I, so I've had that for like four years or five years and I've never had that issue, but I would also say it's that issue can certainly present itself much easier on that limb driven rest versus a cable driven rest. So, okay. 
Yeah, that's those that's my two cents. Anything to add to that? Uh I think that it's pretty well just a price point difference for anybody listening. You know what you want to what you want to put on there because your full containment, you know, just like solitary rest, your whisker biscuits and stuff and things. I don't like the idea of my arrow coming in contact with the full time, but you know, I've shot them on bows and they've been, always been reliable as hell for me. You know, that it's almost like if you were hunting out West or something, you dropped your bow down a hill. I don't think you, and you broke a whisker biscuit off. I think it's a lot easier to throw a whisker biscuit out of your pack on there, you know, than a drop away. Yes. That is a great, a great point to have like a spare. It's much easier to set up a whisker biscuit than it is a, than it is a hamski, right? I mean, especially if you're out in the back country or something that 100% makes sense, man. I got a quick story for you real quick. Yeah. Uh, it. You cuss on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my buddy, I've worked with them for a while now and I, I talked him into finally buying a bow and we went in the archery shop together and he ended up picking out the new, I think it's a Bowtech CP 28. And he shot all of them. He shot the V3X. He shot the prime in line. He shot that one and he ended up shooting it and he, he really liked it. And, uh, you know, he bow hunted before about 10 years ago. He's just now getting back into it. And, uh, he's like, what kind of rest should I get? And I'm showing him the dropways and stuff. He's like, you know what? I like whiskey biscuits and the owner of the archery shops, like, you know, you can, you can put whatever you want on there. So we're down there on the range. He has a whiskey biscuit on and there's a guy in there that's shooting a target bow. And he's just, he didn't say anything the whole time we were down there just minding his business shooting. And, uh, I told my buddy, I said, well, you're, I said, you're not really supposed to put a whiskey biscuit on a brand new bow. A guy looked up, he said, well, you're not supposed to kiss your sister, but fuck. yeah i mean whatever works i i uh he likes it so that's what he's rolling with (laughs) yeah that's a great uh it's a unique perspective (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what we thought we were like the hell this guy hasn't said shit the whole time and then (laughs) oh that's funny yeah I i don't think it's uh it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, and you bring up a great point. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the accessories we're going to talk about, uh, our price point, there's a lot of, a lot of things, you know, like for the rest, it's, you know, that category of, of 30 to 80 bucks. And then you jump after that from 80 to, you know, that, uh, that the Virtus is 170 bucks. So you jump to that, you know, a, a cheap, uh, a lower end, I should say not a cheap, a lower end drop away rest is probably like maybe 90 to $110 or something like that. Higher end drop away rest that's cable driven is probably the Virtus at like 170, 180 bucks. And then you can jump one more category up to the the limb driven rests like a Hamski. I think that one's like 220 or 240 or something like that. So there are certainly price points and archery is very, um, the higher, the higher, the quality, the equipment, the more money it costs. Like you get what you pay for an archery 100%. For sure. Yeah. So, and that, that certainly doesn't mean like, I mean, what hunting public put out, a, I mean, they, they killed a great deer with a $250 bow they bought from Walmart, 
with arrows they bought from Walmart and broadheads they bought from Walmart. Like it doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means that, you know, if you're looking to upgrade your upgrade your components and you have a set budget, figure out what you want most and then spend the money there because then maybe next year, like if you upgrade your rest this year and you spend, you know, your whole budget 250 bucks on a rest, then and you can live with your site for another year, then next year you spend money on a nice on a nice site. And the next year, maybe you want to get, you know, a better stabilizer or I don't know, new broadheads, new arrows, whatever. But it's kind of one of those industries where it's buy once, cry once type of thing. Um, where you just like you can buy a bunch of crappy gear and just keep buying it over and over and over again, or you can buy the high, high quality stuff once, buy once, cry once, and then just hold on to it. Cause there is no besides um you know, the, the desire to upgrade, there isn't really any reason you need to upgrade like with your Halon. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't, I mean, there was, yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, if you're going to be like a weekend warrior type guy, you might want to get one of those sheep ready to hunt packages, you know, or bang for your buck, or there's no reason to upgrade. I shoot with my dad still and, he shoots like a 1989, I don't know what year it is, High Country Supreme. And I always tell him, you know, like I've offered him bows I've had before. And he's like, no, I like this one. Indians used to kill them with sticks and string. You know, I sure as hell can use this. So, I mean, it, I could think yeah. it just depends on how vested you are in the hunting, you know, whether it's worth it for you to spend the money. Right. Yeah, 100%. Like I can, I can relate that very much to like cars, like my neighbor is very into cars and he's like, dude, I have, I have a new monthly payment or I can, I can afford a hundred dollars more a month. I'm going to get a nicer car. I'm like, why, you know? And, and he's like, cause I want to. And I'm, he's like, why don't you upgrade yours? Like you have a, you know, you have a truck, you've had it for like four years. You could get a new one too. Like you trade it in, you get a new one. I said, I don't care. I don't care to upgrade. I like the truck I have. And that's the same with archery. Like, I don't care to upgrade my bow. Like it does a great job as it is. Why do I need to spend the money? How about instead I spend the money on maybe some new clothes that I want, you know, or like some new camo, you know, maybe I want to try Sitka for the first time. Maybe I want to try Kuyu. Maybe I want to try First Light. Maybe I want to, you know, buy a new, like one of those mobile tree stands, like a Lone Wolf custom gear or an out on a limb or, you know, an XOP or Lone Wolf, whatever. Um, maybe you want to spend your money there. You know, there's no definitive reason to, to upgrade your bow besides want or desire really. Um, unless it's just like fully broken, <laughs> then at that point, you're probably going to want to make that upgrade. Right. I personally don't think your bow is the most important piece of equipment when it comes to, you know, killing, killing good deer. I think that if I had to say one, item was more important i think my hanging hunt setup's more important than what my bow is you know because i can do a lot of the same stuff and kill a lot of the same deer with my dad's bow if i wanted to you know just being mobile so yeah i think that it just depends situational if you're the weekend warrior you know it, you know it's just kind of a like you said a want thing yeah yep yeah unless yeah all right so um so that's the rest so yeah, you guys can go through and, and find what you want. I think the biggest thing is to, to talk to your, 
think about your budget, figure out what you want to do with your budget, and then go in to an archery shop, take a look at all of them, uh, read some, maybe read some reviews ahead of time, try to figure out what you want to narrow it down to. Cause there's a whole wall of rests, right? You know, there's probably like 40, 20, 30, 40 on a wall that you get to choose from, try to figure out which one's right for you. So kind of figure out, do I want a whisker biscuit? Is that my budget? Or do I want a uh, drop away that's cable driven? Or do I want a, a drop away that's limb driven? What does my budget allow for? And then from there, narrow it down to the different brands that you like, QAD, HHA. Um, I, there's a ton, of, there's a ton out there. I haven't, I just haven't done the, the research in a long time because I haven't needed to. But then from there, then go into your shop read and read those reviews online, go into your shop and then start, you know, taking a look at them and seeing which one you want to do. And the reason I say go to your shop is because um, we do, I do fully support and, and I think everybody should is should spend money on archery shops, uh, your local archery shop. The reason for that is those guys provide a very valuable knowledge base for people setting up their bows and information that you need to gain. And if you just buy all your stuff on Amazon and then return it on Amazon, those guys don't get a dime for that. And, and within the archery community, those archery shops will slowly start slipping away if we don't spend money there. So like do all your research online and whatnot, but go, go spend money at the archery shop itself. It's going to help the archery community in your area a lot and keep that person in business so that they can continue to teach people and give people jobs and all that jazz rather than you know just buying stuff on amazon right can i touch on that real quick yeah uh so my what we were talking about earlier the lead times so with this site uh my archery shop in my town which is absolute archery center and range in perryville missouri it's a great shop if anybody's kind of around this area uh his lead time, I was really looking at the black gold sites. I did a lot of research on spot hog and black gold CB. I narrowed it down. I really wanted black gold and his lead times. This was January when I wanted it and he wasn't going to be getting a shipment of them till April, possibly May. And I told him, I was like, man, there's a lot of 3d that I want to shoot, you know, end of January, February, March. I was like, I really don't want to miss out on all that. And I plan on bow hunting turkeys this year. I just sold my turkey gun a couple of weeks ago. So I really wanted to get comfortable with that site before then. And I talked to him about it uh, and uh, I got the same site on Amazon. And I said, Hey man, what I know, like you can always get it cheaper on Amazon. Don't get me wrong. Cause they got to mark them up to make some money. I said, Hey man, seriously, let me know what you make on this site. And I'll, I'll pay you that difference, you know, so you're not out that money. And, you know, he's a nice guy. We've been buddies for a while. He's like, no, don't you worry about it. But I mean, in that scenario, I think that if you, if you crucially need something, I'd at least be upfront with your local shop about it. And maybe if they do need the extra money, maybe you can pay them what they would make off that site, you know, cause they have a cost. And they have an amount that they're making off of it. Yeah, I could probably get it cheaper on Amazon, but I was more than happy to pay him what he would make on it that if I bought it from him, you know, in April. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Good, good on you for, for that. And that's a great, that's a great point. Like build those relationships with build those relationships with those guys because you never know, like 
if you want some range time or something like that, he might just look at you and be like, dude, don't, you don't need to pay me for range time. Like, go ahead, go do your thing. Like, you know, build those relationships that they're, they're good for everybody. Um, so, and that's a great, that's a great lead into sites. So you were looking at black gold, you said black gold CB and did I hear spot hog in there? Spot hog. Yep. Yep. Okay. So what, uh, and those are all top end, those are all top end sites. Um, what, uh, what led you in that direction? Um, so this past season, I actually had a trophy Ridge react five pin. And that's just a site that I've had on numerous of those. I've actually sold it to my brother-in-law and I got it back from him, sold it to my little cousin. And then before season, I got it back from him again. So it's kind of been, kind of been homie hopping, you know, around all the, all around all these guys. So I got that and uh, I use that this season, but I think that react technology is cool. You know, you only have to side in your 20 and 30 and your 40 through 60s on, but I'm, it's kind of hard to explain, but I don't, I don't like the cluster of pins in there, but I also, I don't like a single pin either. And I'll kind of explain why, but I think the five pins on there was intimidating to me. And I'm also shooting a, this is only a 60 pound bow I have because it was only a 60 pound model he had in at the shop at the time. And that was, you know, good enough for me. I normally pull 70 on my bow pretty easily, but the 60 was fine for my white tail setup. I was going to shoot a heavy arrow, get some penetration anyhow. But uh, I think that I didn't like that trophy ridge because my arrow was so much slower. So those pins were dang near all spread out. So it kind of clustered up my view. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of just why I wanted to switch from that. Sure. And then, so what led you to the road of how did you get to get to, you know, you know, narrowing it down from, you know, there's trophy Ridge and true glow and everybody else that you can buy at Cabela's, including CBE and black gold and, um, and spot hog. Like how'd you narrow it down to those three? Um, just kind of doing research and seeing, you know, what's going to be, the most durable long lasting because a site arrest, you know, stabilizers, that's not, I might upgrade my bow every year, every other year, but those accessories, I feel like are going to follow me for longer than, you know, a year or two years. That's probably something I'm going to keep for a little bit. So, and also, you know, I'm, I'm super mobile. I'm hiking in a lot. I want something durable if I were to knock it around. So, I mean, we talked earlier, you get what you pay for in archery and, Really, for durability, all I was seeing on reviews was Black Gold and Spot Hog. And from there, I kind of just did personal preference. I watched a lot of YouTube videos comparing, like, the Fast Eddie and the Ascent Verdict Pro. And uh, I think three out of four of the reviews that I watched went with the Black Gold on that side. So that kind of helped me, you know, get to that decision. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, for everybody listening, so Black Gold, CBE, and um spot hog are all also top of the price range so you're talking like close to 300 bucks a site um and that's typically for like the three pin so just yeah that's like the caliber of the site because you can go into cabela's and pick up a true glow for you know 30 bucks or 35 bucks right just a three pin like fixed you know boom set it um the uh the black gold are you looking at so you're looking at the top end, uh, Vertic Ascent, which is what I have on my bow. 
um, and that is a adjustable site, right? That's the one you're looking yep. at. Yep. I, I ended up getting, I got it on now. It's the uh, three pin slider. And I went with that because, so my theory, I know a lot of people hunt with single pins and I've owned a single pin before. I'm just scared that, especially with a slower bow, I don't think it's as much of an issue with a really fast bow, you know, closer to 300 foot per second or so where you can use your 20 pin all the way out to 30 yards and under. But for me, if I have a single pin and I have it set at 20 yards and my bow is probably only shooting 250 feet per second. If that deer's at 30, if I draw back with them at 20 and he jumps back to 30, that's going to be a big adjustment. I'm just going to have to pin gap and guess, you know, I might have to put it on a spine and I don't like that really guessing game, I guess. So like, even more, you know, exaggerated. If he's at 20, he catches me drawing back and goes back to 40. I don't want to have to let down and readjust my sight and draw back on him again. Sure. You know, I, I like the idea of having my three fixed pins for hunting scenario, my 20, 30, 40. And the way I have mindset is my top pin is actually my floater. So if I'm a lot of the time where I hunt, uh, I might only be hunting one trail, but I have, you know, I have a good idea of where this deer is going to be coming. So I might only see one deer, but it might be my target deer. And I think he's going to come down this trail 25, 26 yards. I can have that single pin, that top pin actually set at 26 yards exactly. And then I could just shoot that or, you know, I can have my sight zeroed out and have my 20, 30, 40, just in case that scenario happens where he comes in an unexpected range or he hops back. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes, I, I could see why that would make sense from that, from that perspective. Um, so within, within, for everybody listening within sites, um, you have, you know, you can get a, a single pin, a three pin, a five pin, a seven pin. And you can get a slider too, which is built in. If you haven't seen one of these, um, you can actually like spin a wheel and your sights will move up and down. So typically you'll get like what's called a sight tape. You throw it on there and that sight tape will have, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 on there. And then you, you adjust that wheel to like, if you have a single pin, you literally just like, so everybody who shoots tournament archery, um, which was like a podcast or two ago with Hunter, um, almost all of them run a single pin where you just take a look at the yardage, you dial it to that exact yardage and then you pull back and shoot it. Um, so with that, with that slider, then that's like top end, you know, the lower end one, the lower end sites will typically be a, a three pin, you know, it's 30, 30 bucks, 35 bucks, three pin, and it won't have a slider and it'll just be fixed. The other big thing to, to pay attention is the length of the site. The longer the site, the kind of like in a way to a, to a degree, the more accurate you can get out of that. Like the more that pin uh, float matters, I guess. So like those, those lower cost sites, they're usually pretty short. Um, the other big thing is like a third axis. So that's on all these high end sites, which is essentially and I'm not, I'm not the best at explaining this, but look into your third axis. If you would plan on doing any major like high elevation or like you do any like, uh, what do I want to say? Like steep angle shots down or steep angle shots up. You need to have your third axis set properly. 
because especially if you're going like out west and you're shooting uphill or downhill or i mean even from a tree stand if you're pretty high up there you know i'd say like 16 17 18 feet or more you probably want to take a look at this as well because as you dump your bow down at a downward angle or at an upward angle um your sight can actually move like it doesn't move within the housing but it, it kind of moves within the peep i guess and it's at a different it's at a different angle for where you're sh where you're lining everything up so you need to like I, I remember watching this when I set mine up, I set it all up with a guy at the shop and then we were done with it. And then I never thought about it again. So he just had me like uh, essentially raise my bow up and down. And he made some tweaks on that third axis, which is a, a third portion of the site that then allows you to make sure that if you have an upward angle or a downward angle, your site is still very accurate and you don't get any like drift out of that so that's the other big piece with that site um with that with the higher end sites so yeah you're going to get a longer one you're going to get a third access you're going to get all oh, the other big piece is the size of the pins um so like most come with a 0 0.003 size pin i believe i think that's like the standard um i personally really prefer 0 0.001s i had those on a site that i got from a, that i bought from a buddy when i was like 18 and those like it's a much smaller pin um so you so the pin covers much less of the target so i feel like i can be more accurate with that than if i had a 0 0.003 pin which is fatter and covers more of the target so like if you're shooting at like 40 yards and the whole pin is covering the entire vitals like you know that's an eight inch window right an eight inch circle that it'll cover whereas if you have a 0 0.001 pin and you're only covering half those vitals. Now you're at a four inch window. So I feel like you can get more accurate with those. So, and they do cost extra. They cost an extra, I don't know, like, I think it's like 12 bucks a pin for black gold. So 36 bucks for a three pin um, to upgrade to that. But I think those are, are very helpful for me um, when I was looking at, at sites. So yeah, there's a wide range there. And again, you're going with budget because Sometimes you like the, the base model, you won't have a third axis. It won't be very long. You get 0.003s or maybe 0.005s. Maybe the fiber optic isn't very good. So, you know, your low, low light scenarios aren't very good. Um, and from there, you only build up. So from 35 bucks all the way up to looking at that, the CBE right now is 330 bucks, like their top site. So, you know, it can get really expensive, but at the same time, like you said, Brendan, uh, these are pieces that will move with you from, from bow to bow to bow. And you want that. I think durability is a big piece. Like I'm, I'm a mobile hunter. A lot of people are doing a lot more mobile hunting and dropping your bow, uh, having kids mess with your bows. Um, you know, that's always a big one. Like if you, if you leave it out or on the couch or whatever, um, they mess with it. Uh, you drop it from your stand, whatever, like, having it be as durable as it can be um, is certainly a, a pro. So you don't have to cancel a hunt early because you scraped it on a rock and everything just shattered. Right. Anything to uh, anything to add to that, Brennan? No, I don't think so. I think that pretty well covers it. Again, I think it's just, it all depends on budget 
how much you're willing to put into it. If you're going to be the weekend warrior guy and go out a couple times, I mean, go get that $30, $40 True Glow site. You know, that's going to work perfect, and they're great for the money. But, I mean, if you're more guys like me and you and, you know, you're going to be out there consistently or you even do more out-of-season shooting, 3D tournaments, stuff like that, I think it might be worth the extra money to get something a little bit more high quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more options, more customization to it. But like, man, I hosted an archery shoot last year um, at our at our property, which I will open up this year to. Last year was just uh, it was closed to just friends, friends of mine, because I wanted to run it one year and make sure that I wasn't like screwing anything up really bad. So I had like twenty eight people, thirty people show up. And, uh, one of the top guys, I think he was, he got, he ended up getting third place. He had like, uh, a bow from early, early two thousands and he had a $40 site. And I was like, what, what arrows you shooting, man? He's like, I don't know the ones that came with it when I bought it, (laughs) you know, he's just like, Hey, you know, he's just a good shot with that bow, man. And he shot really well that day. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean like you can have somebody who's got a, a $3,000 bow set up and somebody who's got a $1,000 bow set up and, and the guy with the $1,000 bow can certainly still win. Money doesn't buy you accuracy, time, oh, yeah. time with it. To each their own. I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> right? For sure. For sure. All right. So those are the two like most uh, uh, customization heavy components you can add to your bow uh, a rest and a sight then from there you have a stabilizer and for that uh, do you have any thoughts on stabilizers like how long they should be how much weight they should be anything like that uh no i think that's a personal preference thing i mean i know a lot of people like a really light bow and i'm not saying i like an absolute boulder to pack around but I shoot a heavier bow better than I shoot a lighter bow. You know, I feel like I'm more stable at full draw. So I do normally run quite a bit of weight on my uh, stabilizer and my back bar. I Most of my hunting setups will have a rear stabilizer. So, uh, I mean, that I think that's really just in a, kind of an opinion thing. I know people that run hunting bows without stabilizers. I know people that have just a little six-inch stabilizer. And then I know people who have shoot like almost a tournament style stabilizer for hunting you know so i think it's whatever works for you okay yeah i think i i you know i did when i i went out and bought a new stabilizer this year or last year and uh i bought it i bought this one because um i uh i met the owner or the general manager of uh aae arizona archery equipment on a bow shoot and they had a screaming deal at the bow shoot for a stabilizer with a back bar. So I ended up at the bow shoot. Uh, it was the, um, what's it called? It's in, it's in Northern Wisconsin. I don't know why I can't think of it right now. Um, Bowfest is the name of it. And when I, when I was there, they had all their, they had all their stabilizers out. So I got to put a bunch on my bow I got to shoot my bow. I got to figure out which ones I liked and then, and then just went with that. Um, and for, for me, I, I agree. It's, it's all about the feel like anything from eight to like 15 inches certainly will do the trick. Um, I think the, 
the reason those tournament guys have those long ass stabilizers that are like 36 inches or 40 inches or whatever is because the longer they are, the more weight you can put out there, the more accurate you can get with them. So I, I, I think there is something to be said about having something in that eight to 15 inch range that, uh, that's like the best of both worlds. You know, it's not a little nub on the end of your stabilizer hole, but at the same time, you're, you're, you're not, you know, sitting in the tree and your stabilizers poking the deer while you're trying to shoot it. Right. Like that's not good. (laughs) That's not good either. So, um, so yeah, I I think there is something to be said. And then as far as the weight goes, um, it depends on the amount of uh, amount of gear that you have on your bow. Otherwise, you know, do you run five arrows? Do you run three arrows in your quiver? Do you would not have a quiver attached? How heavy is your sight? How heavy is your rest? You know, kind of all that plays a factor into it because the ideal scenario is, is you want the stabilizer to a, uh, like provide additional weight so that it offsets that heavy weight of the site up top and the quiver up top and anything else that's up there, um, which shouldn't be anything else, but, uh, you want it to offset that and you want it to provide, provide some extra stability. Um, so the, the weights that you add to it should, when you buy a, a, a stabilizer, it should come with multiple weights on it that you can add or take off. Um, and maybe like an ounce of weight or something like that. And you just mess around with it till you feel fine. So, and the back bar, uh, I do, I have one of those as well. Um, it's like a back sidebar. It was a package from AAE and, um, and I really like it. I don't, I wouldn't say like, I think it's more of a, uh, a confidence thing than anything. Um, just like I have it, I feel like I shoot better. Therefore I do, I guess, I don't know, (laughs) uh, kind of like a, a placebo. So you know, um, I, and I get, I get shit for it too. Cause one of my buddies looked at me one time and he was like, uh, he wanted me to shoot a, a cow elk at 70 yards. And I was like, dude, that's just too far for me. I can't make it. He goes, dude, you have a back bar. What do you have a back bar for? If you're not willing to shoot 70 yards, <laughs> that's like <laughs> yeah. in the, in the heat of the moment, that's what he says to me. And I'm like, yeah, still, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so I uh, think, uh, I think the idea of a like sidebar or rear bar or back bar. I think it's because on a right-handed bow, everything is mounted to the right side of the bow. So in theory, your sight mounts to the right side, your rest mounts to the right side. I think it kind of counteracts. You know, I don't think there's much of a point in having something stick way far off that side of the bow with a lot of weight. I think you're just getting lopsided, but I'm my uh, sidebar is really close to my riser. I mean, not really close, probably three, four inches off. It's only got a couple ounces of weight, but I think it's just enough to kind of counteract the fact that everything else is on the right side of the bow. And then, you know, I think I'm putting the equal weight on the other side, but I, that's just my opinion on it. I think it's a placebo thing too. I bet if I took that thing off and went out in the yard, I couldn't hit freaking broadside of a barn, you know, (laughs) just because I think I can't because I don't have a back bar anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It, it offsets everything. And, and the other big piece there is the quiver with your broadheads in it and everything. If you have that on your bow, that's always on the right side of your bow, if you're right-handed or left side, if you're left-handed. So that also certainly adds a bunch of weight too. Yep. If you're somebody who shoots with a quiver on, I'm not, I take mine off, but if there are guys that shoot with a quiver on and you might want to look into a, you know, a sidebar or whatever with a little bit more weight to counteract that. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
One of the other things I, I forgot to mention is with the sites, I am I am upgrading sites this year, which I have gotten a few questions on. Um, I'm upgrading to the the dialed archery site, which is brand new. You can't even get it yet. You pre-order it and it comes in. The and things look slick. Yeah, they do. They look really badass. And I had them on the podcast. So dialed archery was on here. Um, and those guys are just good dudes. And I, they're, they're doing the pre-order and everything because they are starting the entire company with, with just money that they have. So um, I wanted to support them and, and show a little bit of love for them. So I ended up buying one of those and I'll sell my black gold. You know, right now in this market, I'll probably sell it for, you know, 200 bucks and I'm buying that dialed, which is 500 bucks, extremely expensive um, for a bow site, but it's hundred percent made in the U S everything sourced in the U S and the guys are, are good people. So I'm hoping that it's really nice. Uh, I have faith in them <laughs> to deliver a good product. Uh, but the other big thing is there, it's only a, a single pin. So when you order it, it's just a single pin. Um, which is something that's new to me. So like you were mentioning earlier, um, uh, single pin, you have to, you have to like, essentially not necessarily pin gap, but if some, if you set it at 25, you draw and he moves out to 35, like, what are you doing then? You know, are you undrawn and, and redialing your site or are you taking a guess at it and putting it on his spine and hoping you're shooting fast enough? You know, that's one of those things where I think, um, I'm going to really have to get used to this summer as soon as I get it and go shoot odd yardages with it, you know, at yep. a set point. Yeah. Um, but I think if I'm you in that situation, I'll just have my sight set to 25 and see where you hit at 35 and 40 yards and just get used to your adjustment there. So that way, I mean, in the worst case scenario, you can just, you know, pin gap it and be somewhat accurate better than if you were just guessing. Right. Yeah. Yep. i that's what I'm going to have to do. Um, and I'm going to have to figure that out. And it seems like, I don't know what it is, but every time I set up, you know, my, my stand and I, and I range the, the trail that I'm hoping to shoot at, it's like 24 to 27 yards. Like, it seems like in my brain, that's where, like, when I'm looking at a trail, I'm like, all right, where can I set up? And I just, you know, instinctively pick a tree. Like it's right in that 24 to 27 yard range away. So if I can just dial the site right now to, to 25 or whatever, and I'd be good, like I'd probably be happy with that. And I'll just hope that that deer comes along that trail, which is a good uh, a point to bring up. You said your floater was your top pin so that you can dial it to specific yardages. My floater is my bottom pin because I want to be able to dial that thing out to if you're, if your floater is your bottom pin, you can get more yardage out of your site. Right. Yep. But if you're not interested in getting more yardage out of your site, then it doesn't matter. So, and what I mean by that is like my floater is my bottom pin. So when I crank my site all the way down to the very bottom to the point where I'm like barely, my site is so low on my bow that like my veins are almost touching it when they're coming out of my rest. Uh, then, then I'm able to shoot roughly it's somewhere right around the range, right around hundred yards. That's like where I can get out to. Um, cause I was shooting a target at 120 and I had to put at the, at the bow fest last two years ago. And I had to put my sight way above this thing and I was still hitting in the dirt below it. Um, but, uh, so that was, that was my site. And I, and I wanted to get to that hundred yard range for fun really. 
for a practicality standpoint, I can easily see the the top pin being a floater because I think most down. people do set set their bottom pin for the floater. And my theory on it was just so if you take that dial and you bring it all the way to the top, that's kind of zeroed out. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just I'm thinking like if for some reason I have to move it and it's dark for some reason in the morning, I always know that I can crank it all the way up and hit that top and I'm zeroed out. I'm 20, 30, 40. So like if you, if you start with that, uh, that site flush, you know what I mean? Like that bar that comes up, if you start with it flush, I don't know if the listeners will kind of know what I'm talking about, but you might with the same site, you, if you are too high or too low, you might not know and you might be off a couple yards to where if you crank that dial all the way up and you zero it out, you're right on 20, 30, 40. So yeah. I always have that confidence. And then also I like to shoot a lot of target shooting. So I like to have the ability to shoot that, you know, 22, 23, 24. And I think you yeah. can also do that with your, uh, you could probably do that with your bottom pin set as a floater. I'm sure too. You can, it's just not as accurate. So like, right. When I, when I go and make my marks on my sight tape, I'm, I'm making my marks for my bottom pin. So my bottom pins, I, I also have 20, 30, 40. And then I am pulling that down from 40 when I sighting in for 50. And for everybody listening, like, this is just how I do it. It is certainly not the right way to do it. Like, I just throw a sight tape on there and then I make my own marks, pretty much a, a blank sight tape. So then I just make my own marks. Uh, and that way I know like what I'm doing, like pretty, pretty close. So, um, so I will make a mark for 50 when I dial it down to 50 for that bottom pin, 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred. And then based on that, I can take a guess how much I need to dial. Like if I'm at, if it's 20 and I've had my 20, 30, 40 pin set and I range a target at a 3d shoot and it's 26, I know roughly where I need to dial that site so that I'm at 26, which is about halfway or a little bit over halfway between my 20 and 30 marks. So essentially like that's, that's how I eyeball it. And it, it works well for me for the 3d shoots. Um, it's certainly not the most accurate thing in the world. And I'm sure some people out there that are OCD are like, what in the hell are you doing? But, uh, that's that's what I've been that's what I do and uh and it works all right I think that's the more logical way of doing it than how I did it my thing is (laughs) I'm just shooting such a I'm shooting such a heavy arrow I can still shoot 75 yards with my dial I that's where my arrow clearance is at like even using my top fin as a floater I can get down to 75 but I mean the way I hunt I'd say it's really comparable to more like the uh the Quisto style you know I'm not getting very high. I'm eight to 12 foot normally. And most of my encounters are 25 yards or less. So I do practice out to those longer yards, 60, 70, but you know, I'm shooting such a heavy arrow that getting a hundred yards is going to be hard. Anyhow, you know, like I'm, I'm shooting a boulder. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to knock, knock him off his fucking hoofs. (laughs) If it it doesn't go in, I'm just going to knock him down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also only shooting 60 pounds. Right. So that's yep. another like, yep. I mean, you got a nice little lob going on there. Um, Which sucks. Yeah. I really do. I th- I looked into getting uh, 60 to 70 or 70 to 80 pound limbs and just getting them priced. And it's like, I'm kind of balancing 
I think it's 200 bucks. It's not, not an awful lot of money, but I'm balancing like, okay, I know for a fact that 60 pounds works perfectly fine. You know, I just shot a 300 pound live weight buck this year with it and then put them down just fine in two does like uh, 60 pound works well enough but then again it's like do i get the 70 pound limbs for the extra speed so that's kind of just something i'm trying to decide before season yeah so i have uh i have a buddy better bow hunter than me he's got a lot more deer in the wall he was he always shot a 50 to 60 pound bow um and he is i think he's six three like 250 260 pounds certainly not he can pull 70 or 80 pounds back when he feels like it you know so he chose 50 to 60 because he likes to his thought process is look it's 60 is plenty and i can hold that weight very easily and i can draw very easily with very minimal movement like that's gonna bust me more than anything um is that is that movement on the draw or undraw of my bow um and then at that point, I just need to, you know, not, not stick a front shoulder, but even if I do, I should be, I should be okay. Um, and he, that was a great idea for him until he started hunting elk out West and he stuck two two elk in the shoulder and he got like little to no penetration. And so after that, he was like, all right, I'm, I'm swapping over to the 70 pound, a standard 70 pound with a little bit heavier arrow. And I'm going to go that route not because of whitetails but because of elk to make sure that like not saying that he's going to slam in to you know and break an elk shoulder or whatever and go through but more or less because he was he was concerned about that but he was also concerned about distance with elk you know elk can easily get you know you can easily take uh 40 to 70 yard shots on elk and in because it's much more open terrain got a lot more opportunity and uh and he wanted that flatter trajectory so that was his kind of um thought process there um all right so we covered rest we covered sites we covered stabilizers uh quivers you take do you do you have a bow mounted quiver that you just take off as soon as you get to the tree or what about that yeah i'm right now i got a trophy ridge uh it's just a five arrow quiver. I'm going to be switching to tight spot just because I like the quality a little bit better. And uh, I don't know, I've seen a lot of them in the archery shop and I just think they'll work better for what I have. And I'm really even thinking about getting the three arrow, the three arrow tight spot quiver just for weight reduction, since I do have, you know, a lot of weight everywhere else on the bow and I don't shoot with my quiver on anyhow. And uh, if I, uh, if I can't kill them in three shots, I, I better hang it up. You know, it's like <laughs> even if I spine them, I'm hoping I'm getting getting them with the next two. So right. I might I might even switch to that three arrow quiver. But yeah, that's where I'm at with it now. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I don't. There is no huge preference for me. Um, I didn't run a quiver on my bow for a long time. I actually had like a cat quiver. If you ever remember what those are, it's actually yeah. it's a backpack that is a quiver. Um, is that, I mean, it's a safari tough cat quiver. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. I don't know. So it's a backpack that is also a quiver and it has a little pouch for all your accessories. So I could literally throw a water bottle, my range finder, grunt tube, and some snacks in that little backpack. And that little pack that comes on the quiver, it's a backpack. You throw it on, you know, out to the woods you go. So I ran that for a long time. Um, and then 
for my birthday, my wife got me the the Matthews the Matthews quiver that goes like with my bow. So now I run that because it's just it's nice, and I still do take it off when I get to the stand. Like immediately, I, I take it off, but I do practice with it on just to make sure that nothing's wonky. You know, especially with broadheads, nothing's going weird or wonky with that when it's on, and especially like. You know, you never know, like when you're walking in in the morning and you get pinned down by a bunch of deer running through or whatever, and all of a sudden you got to shoot and you don't have time to take your quiver off or whatever. So yep. that's always that's always one of those things I, I, I'd suggest. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about tonight in terms of equipment, I don't want to get into the whole arrow setup, you know, veins and and length and arrow weight and all that stuff. I know you've been talking about lobbing logs, and I've been purposely not. Uh, not trying to touch that subject because it's a, it's a deep conversation in itself. Um, but, uh, but my last thing is, is releases. Um, are you shooting a standard, you know, wrist, wrist release? Are you shooting a thumb button, a hinge? What do you got going on? Um, I'm actually shooting a wrist, a wrist strap release right now. It's made by B3, but mm -hmm. I think I am going to switch to a four finger this year or a hinge. I've shot, I've shot some back tension releases before uh, when I did a little bit more 3D archery. I'm thinking I'm leaning more towards four finger and uh, only because I, I like to walk in with my release on sometimes because I never know when, you know, I might have to take a shot on the ground. And if I'm doing my like hanging hunt setup, so I'll have my stand on my back and the stick quiver is on the stand. So if I have my release on my wrist all the time, it's just kind of a pain in the ass to be setting sticks with that thing clinking off them or off your stand. So I think I like the idea a lot better of just being able to grab, you know, my four finger release out of my pocket. And then also when I'm set up, just clipping it on my D loop and having my hands free because I don't like to wear gloves either. So that right. kind of leaves my hands free. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Big. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, then that's all the reasons why I switched to a hinge, the exact same reasons. And I wanted to try a hinge cause I was having some target panic. Um, so I wanted to get to, to a hinge release. So I bought the ultra view hinge, uh, hinge release, which is what Chris B shoots. And that's how I ended up buying it was B3 was my second option. Um, I was looking between B3 and ultra view, ended up just pulling the trigger on ultra view. Uh, and so I shot that hinge and 3d targets, regular targets. Awesome. Love it. Very happy with it. Um, and then shot, ended up shooting one deer with it this year. And, you know, I just got, I got lost in the moment and tried to pull that hinge off and it wasn't going when I wanted it to go. Um, uh, it's just, you know, you're the excitement's up, the adrenaline's up, everything's up and, and I'm trying to get this hinge to go off and it wasn't going off. So I just like ripped it through and it went off and and when i ripped it my my bow hand moved a little bit and my and my my uh, release hand moved more than i wanted it to and uh and i ended up making a, a less than ideal shot um i killed the deer like you know it was i was like a liver it was a liver maybe one lung shot um ended up losing the deer though to coyotes came back the next morning uh, the deer had made it made it about 200 yards and and i lost him to coyotes he was pretty much tore up um but i know like i was like after the shot i just kept i can still remember the the shot over and over and over in my head and if i would have had a thumb button or my wrist release i was very confident in where i had that pin 
like initially when I started my movement to, to make that hinge go off, which is when I would have pulled the trigger on a, on a regular wrist strap or a uh, thumb button. So, and that was the whole, you know, everybody, like I was talking to my buddies and they were like, are you going to shoot the hinge or are you going to shoot a thumb button or what are you going to do for season? And I said, I'm going to stick with the hinge. I'm, I'm being very successful with it. I'm very happy. I think I can control all my, you know, adrenaline rush and, and mindset and everything while I'm in the stand. And, and I couldn't, you know, the way this whole scenario went down, the buck came in, he went through a window, a gap in a, uh, some trees that was two feet wide. I had to stop him. He stared at me. He knew I was there, everything. And I just needed that thing to go off and it wasn't going off. So I think, um, you know, in the scenario where like a deer's out feeding in a food plot and you got all the time in the world to like draw and like naturally make that shot with a hinge, you got a big old window, like that makes a lot of sense, but those much more precise shots um that are high intensity like like that one um you know i i i i'm not going to use the hinge so i'm going to purchase i'm probably going to purchase a b3 thumb release this year and give that a go for a while i like the three finger of the ultra view i think that that makes it makes it feels really good in my hand um but I'm not, I'm not opposed to a four finger. So I'm going to have to, maybe I'll buy two and return one or something like that, or maybe go to the archer shop and shoot a few of them um, and see what I like. But, uh, but yeah, no, the purpose of that is I do, I don't mind the wrist release, which is what I pretty much everybody shoots, but I just like, I get a little bit too much target panic. Cause I went back to it, you know, switched back and forth between that and my, my hinge this last summer. Um, and I'd still get like a little bit of target panic. So I feel like for whatever reason, my mind works better with a thumb or a hinge. And I do think I'm pretty sure I got like an extra half inch to an inch out of my draw length because of, uh, that release. So, um, which may, may or may be right or wrong. Like I was shooting a, a 70 pound bow with a 29 inch draw with my wrist strap release. And then I went to the Matthews and I picked up a, uh, and I, it's 70, 75 pounds at a 30 inch draw. So I got extra, an extra inch out of it. And maybe I was just way off before I was wrong before. Um, but I just like that extra energy, that extra power behind it. Um, so I'd like to like to continue to shoot that that thumb button or hinge style release as well. It feels a lot better to me. Um, you have any? Have you when you've tried a hinge? Have you always just jumped back to a thumb button or or your wrist release for hunting season? Pretty well, I think. Whenever I was shooting one, was more. I'd say probably three, four years ago now, and it was more for just target. I don't even really think it ever crossed my mind to use it in a hunting scenario, you know, because I'd be afraid of the exact same thing that happened to you. But I do know several people. I mean, the owner of the archery shop here in town uses one uh, for hunting. And I got a couple of other guys, you know, that helped me learn how to work on bows that use one for hunting. So I think it's just getting comfortable with it, you know, and maybe getting a couple of years under your belt. I know the owner of the shop here, he used it, you know, shooting 3d for a full year before he ever took it in the woods with them. So I just don't think I have, I'm patient, but I don't think I, I'm patient enough to relearn my whole like 
hunting for him per se for that release. I think I'd rather just go with the thumb button. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I shot that hinge all, I got it in like February or March of last year. So I had it for, you know, a good seven, eight months before season started. But even then, like, I, I think that there's so many, anybody, everybody knows who, who shot a deer. There's so many emotions and, and adrenaline and thoughts and all this stuff that's going through your mind when you're about to shoot a deer that it's tough to, to focus on the, on the mechanisms of a hinge and making sure you, you have the right shot. Whereas a, a thumb button or a wrist release, you can push the button and away it goes. Right. They always say not to punch it, but when that, big ass bucks in front of me i'm fucking punching it i'm shooting them you know <laughs> right yeah yeah i hear you most of us are the same way all right well that kind of covers um upgrading accessories anything was there anything that we missed brennan oh uh, i don't think so as far as accessories i mean i put a new string on my bow but that's regular mm-hmm. maintenance um i think that pretty well covers it okay yeah, it's a great point. You know, do your regular maintenance, you know, use bowstring wax, put your strings on, get new strings every couple of years, depending on how much you shoot, check your strings, inspect your strings, inspect your limbs after season or any drop or anything like that, for sure. Check your cams, all that fun stuff. Um, all right. Well, awesome. So that, that would, uh, that would conclude all of the component conversation we're having for upgrade. And, and again, just, I mean, like Brendan said, you know, he had to wait until April to get his site, you know, that's a, whatever, a three month or a four month lead time out of January. So get in there, get after it guys. If you're going to do your upgrades, get after it now so that you're not, you know, if you would have made that choice in April, you would have been getting it in July or August. And that's just, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, am I even going to get it before season starts or how early am I going to get it? Am I going to have to, you know, shoot every day just to get familiar with all this stuff? So to get after it now rather than later, sooner rather than later and, um, and visit your local archery shop. Anything else? Any closing, closing thoughts? I don't think so. I think we pretty well covered her. All right. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for hopping on. If people want to find you and ask you any questions or anything, what's the what's the best way to contact you? Uh, Instagram. You can DM me on Instagram. That's uh, Brendan period graph dot whatever you want to say. Yeah, Brendan graph. Yeah, I'll throw it in the show notes below. Okay, fantastic, man. Well, thank you for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Everybody listening. Uh, you got any questions or anything, please send them over to Brennan or send them to myself. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. Uh, five stars would appreciate that. Uh, write whatever you want after that. I just need the five star rating. Um, subscribe and check out the Instagram and the Facebook and whatnot. We got a bunch of fun stuff coming up this summer. Got the shoot coming up, which I will open up to the podcast listeners first. Um, and that will be at my private 100, 100 acre property. And there's going to be a couple fun things going on out there. Um, some surprises. So I think everybody would enjoy that. And um, yeah, should be a good shoot overall. All right. Well, with that, we will catch everyone next time. See you guys later.